Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my And you're on 3CR, the greatest little country in the world, and uh, we're looking at um, film on uh, and moving image on showreel. For 3CR, <coughs> excuse me, and today I'm going to be very quick because it's quite a long piece I've got for you. It's a quick Q&A after the uh, um, uh, showing of uh, Jennifer Kent's new film, uh, After the Babadook. This is the new film from Jennifer uh, Kent. It's uh, The Nightingale. It's an extraordinary film, I have to say. And uh, if uh, you want a film that is really takes in its hands uh, the violence that uh, was the inception of white Australia, then The Nightingale is uh, unapologetic in its approach to uh, describing the early uh, beginnings of white Australia. And uh, it's uh, about time. Uh, as someone said to me, a young woman said... Uh, uh, you know, people think that, you know, unpleasant actions in a film, you know, uh, but uh, she didn't know how you could possibly have uh, a nice uh, genocide movie. Anyway, it's a pretty amazing film. But uh, this Q&A was with the uh, producer, one of the producers, who uh, Christina Saton and uh, Saton and uh, the editor, Simon Nuge. It was quite a fascinating affair. So let's go. Christina, I wonder if you could tell us about the first time that um, you encountered this story that we first that we just saw on screen. Um, so Jen approached me when she'd first come up with the concept and written a treatment for it, and I, um, of course, uh, immediately, um, you know, wanted to be involved. It was also just an organic sort of next step. It was an opportunity to collaborate again after a very successful, you know, first collaboration. And um, and it was just such a powerful story um, and, and also a timely story about, um, you know, I guess the, the fallout of violence and from a feminine perspective. And at, at the time when she was writing the script, it was, you know, just before the Me Too movement. I think we were shooting the film exactly during that time. But it was very clear that all of that was already bubbling up and um, and it was so contemporary and being, you know, a period drama, but very, very current, that it just, you know, was a story that we that was really important to be told, also from an Aboriginal perspective and the shared story and 
getting the permission from, you know, Jim Everett, our... Sorry, I'm just rambling. But, <laughs> but um, it's really important. It was always very important for us from concept stage that we had um, had permission and, and someone on board who would give us that permission to tell the story. Mm. Did, it, you always knew that this was going to be a hard sell for audiences? Uh, yeah. Look, I think it was such a powerful script and despite the you know, very dark themes, it was also always really moving. So we always approached it in a way where it was, you know, how do you retain your humanity in the darkest of times and that the shining light is humanity and empathy for ourselves and for others. And if you strip away gender and race, all you're left with is this beautiful human being right in front of you. So that was something that always drove us in the development and in the making and in the editing. Um, so I think that people were uh, partly so confronted by it is, um, you know, I think it's something that is sort of expected, but it was different for us because we obviously went into it um, knowing what we were doing and seeing it for the first time versus reading it is also I think a very, very different experience and much more confronting. Mm -hmm. And Simon, when did you come on board this project? Similarly to Christina, because of my relationship with Jen and Christina during the making of The Babadook, um, Jen was speaking to me about the film in the inter intervening years between the release of The Babadook and, and when we started working on this. Um, so I was, you know, with, you know, Jen and I spoke about, about the film and she sent me through drafts of the script, so I was sort of involved right from the start. And it was a natural progression because the, you know, the Babadook had been such a wonderful project to be involved in, and, and we, we, um, we sort of had a really a tight working relationship, and that just continued into, into the, the Nightingale. Mm. And you know, the same with Christina. You know. Yeah, and we had, I think that's the thing, it, it was we had a lot of the key core key creatives involved, so the production designer who was also involved, who so happens to be my husband, full disclosure, <laughs> but um, yeah, so he was also very, you know, involved early on, um, Jed Kozel, the composer, um, and, and Radek, Radek, the, and Radek, the, the DOP. DOP as well, so that everyone was always, you know, involved really early on in the concept stages and deciding on the ratio and the look and the feel and, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that decision to use that square ratio and when that came about? It sort of came about closer to, um, you know, pre, I think, sort of in the kind of last stages of financing. Um, it was about finding what that right ratio was and we tested a few. We tested the academy ratio, which is 1375, and then there's one that is slightly wider and we did tests on both and just... It was sort of this organic, you know, natural thing that it had to be told that way because, uh, you know, the original title of The Nightingale was Interior. It was always about being very close to our characters and that Academy ratio really allows you to do that, to be really close and intimate, but it also um, gives you landscape but in the depth and it gives you, you know, the horizontal, so it gives you a lot of... You know, a lot of that, and, yeah, and, was, and not about, knowing what's on the side. Yeah. Is that making a film that wasn't about the landscape? When you go down to 
Tasmania and go up to the top of mountains where no one's ever filmed before, I think that there's a tendency for people to want to see the landscape and to, and to situate it in, in, in the environment and to show that environment in order to prove that you were actually there. Whereas Jen, I don't think, was ever interested in making a film about the Australian landscape so much as making a film about you know, what the film's about, about violence, about revenge, about the nature of you know, empathy and humanity in the darkest of times. And so by cutting out that landscape, it sort of removes that from the equation and concentrates the concentrates the, the, the main themes of the film. Yeah, it makes you kind of um, keep wishing that we could pull out a bit more and, and get that relief, but we're not allowed that relief. We have to focus on, on these characters and what's happening to them. And it intensifies that drama. I yeah, I think that the, the Braddock's work, the cinematographer's work is really extremely beautiful, but it's it doesn't rely on on the landscape, it doesn't, you know, the beauty of his work comes through the performances and supports the performances and and defines the spaces that the, the film takes place in but doesn't ever override the, the central kind of meaning and, and, and thrust of the film, I think. And that's where I think the choice to frame it like that was a really bold, um, a bold one. And speaking as an editor, um what did this film prove any particular um, kind of challenge to you in a way that you hadn't had to um, deal with before? I, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, the people who you, you've stated because you're obviously interested in the film, you, you obviously had a, you know, a, a reaction to it. I, I think it's a singular film. Um, you don't watch it with any pleasure, but it's compelling, and and you and you stay to the end because you're invested in it um, as, a, as, a, as an audience member but also maybe as a you know, human being. Mm. And I think that that's you know, a similar experience for most of us who worked on the film. I think that for Jane in particular, you know, like it wasn't, it's not a joyful subject matter. It's not a, you know, look, examining those aspects of our, of, of our history, examining the things that went on in Australia, examining the way that, you know, the indigenous population has been treated and is con you know, continues to be treated. Examining the relationship between you know, men and women in this way is not—it's not a joyful enterprise, um, particularly. But it can be—it can be enlightening and it can be, you know, full of hope. And I think that you know, when you work in a film like this, you have to negotiate all those things that you've just negotiated in, in watching the film. Mm. Was it difficult to put the financing puzzle together for this film? Um, look, it was actually, um, at the beginning it was relatively um, quick and relatively easy <laughs> because one, um, you know, we had a lot of international investors really tracking Jen's career. She's rejected, you know, all these big American movies and everyone was just dying to read, you know, and invest in her next film. Um, and on top of that, it was, you know, a very, very good script. And so it was, you know, it was, we had Screen Australia and Screen Tasmania and South Australian Film Corporation come on really at first draft stage. Um, and we had a, a US investor come on as well. The tricky thing was that when we then cast um, Ashling Franciosi in the lead role that, um, you know, we had to take a hit on the budget because we just couldn't, 
um, you know, she didn't have the name attached to it. So um, it took a little bit of creative financing and kind of crawling our way back up, you know, to that level um, that allowed us to do it. So that was pretty hard going there for a while, but um, all our financiers, all our investors were backing it, you know, right through to the end because they believed in it, believed in Jen's vision. So, yeah, but it was, you know, like Simon said, it was tough from beginning to end. It was a bit like bit like childbirth, you know, <laughs> every day. And you're like, oh, it was, wasn't that bad. Let's do it again. Maybe not straight away. But um, <laughs> thing we could, and, you know. So, yeah. It looks like it was a, probably a quite difficult shoot. Would you say that? What can yes. you tell us about the shoot? Well, look, and the particular challenges of that? Well, it was like, I think it ended up being an 11-week shoot in the wilderness, um, trudging through, you know, mud and up mountains and, you know, everyone was like including me carrying stuff and um, and it was a period film with horses and children and stunts and effects and um, in in, a, in on an island that doesn't have a very big film industry. <laughs> so we had to get everything, you know, on trucks across on ferries, including the horses and all the equipment, and you know, it's very expensive and time-consuming. And but, you know, having said that, we had an incredible crew. We had beautiful people, um, you know, at the helm, and everyone just worked so hard because they really believed in it and they loved the project. And it would have been really tough otherwise. But I think we all became a really tight family, mm. and there was a lot of love and care among everyone. Everyone was the same, you know, including the actors, they were all on the same level and just supporting each other, yeah. Which part of Tasmania was it? Uh, based out of Hobart and then from there we shot in Mount Field and then, you know, like a little bit all around Marion Bay and it sort of in the centre. Yes, yeah, so it was like, you know, going round. <laughs> was it cold? Was it summer yeah. or winter? No, it was... Um, leading up to winter, so it's pretty freezing, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, 98% outdoors, so we were, like, at the mercy of, yeah, the gods mm -hmm. who looked after us. And Simon, um, is there a particular part of this film as an editor that you look at and you're especially proud of? Um, I'm, I'm proud of the whole film. I mean, I think it's... Uh, and, and proud that I was asked to contribute to it and that I was able to contribute to it. I mean, I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's con it's contentious, but I think that the the, the heart scene, the, the rape and murder scene, um, I'm pretty proud of that scene because it was such a difficult scene to... I mean, I know that for Jen it was a really difficult scene to write. And I know that on the shoot it was a really incredibly difficult scene to, to shoot. I think there were three days. I think we were shooting for three days for that. I wasn't in Tasmania in the cold. I was in a warm at suite in Sydney drinking coffee for my assistant. But I think it was three days. I think you took three days to shoot yeah, that scene. Yeah, I think it was like three and a half days. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's a long scene. Um, but I'm proud of it because I think that uh, you know, I hope that in in twenty twenty five years, when people look back on on Australian cinema of, of our era, 
that they'll point to that scene and say that's that's a really important scene in the history of Australian cinema because of the subject, because of the way that it treats it, and because it's a really you know I mean it's a really bold cinematic vision, but the one that's really anchored in a, in something really human, and I think that that's what's what's important about it. So that scene and. And I, I kind of like the opening because it's like you're thrown straight into this world and you have no idea. But hopefully, if it worked, um, right from the very start, you sort of swept up into you know into the life and the mind of of, of the character of Claire. Mm. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't uh, this isn't based on a true story. But this kind of thing happened all the time. Um, in terms of, I think there was a ratio of one to eight, um, one woman for eight men, and women preferred to be put into solitary confinement rather than being sent back to their um, their owners. So that tells you something about the brutality of the times. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think if we showed what really happened we wouldn't none of us would be here tonight um yeah i think it's really just scratching the surface of what happened but also what happened to the aboriginal people and i think that was so confronting in the making of the film that you in the research you know that you undertake what happened to the convict women what happened to the aboriginal people there um it was horrendous you know mm. and you can feel it like in your bones while while we were there like it was yeah it was pretty confronting but um yeah it's it is based on true story you know true true events mm. um but it's not a true story no it is fiction we're on you're on 3cr showreel and we're listening to a discussion around a film called the nightingale the nightingale is going to be released on august the 29th it's directed by jennifer kent it's the film that she made after babadook uh we'll hurry along because uh it uh i've got a lot of information to pass on this is the other part of that conversation I imagine it was um, a little bit difficult to find the cast. Can you talk about that process? Um, which cast? Just the everyone or...? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was. Look, I think finding Claire for us, um, as a, you know, to start with, we, we obviously wanted someone who has a beautiful singing voice because we wanted to... Uh, you know, it's really important to Jen to film her in situation and not post sync. Um, so everything you hear was sung in, you know, on location, recorded on on site. Um, and someone who spoke Gaelic and you know was young enough, but could you know, you know, she has this amazing quality of feeling like a little girl sometimes, and and sort of this mature woman <coughs> and mother and for that to be really believable. So that was really tough, but she, you know, she sent us, you know, so we, that was, yeah, so she sent us a tape and she just blew us away. And, and then with Sam Claflin, he met Jen in London, so she flew out and, you know, auditioned a few people and he came and auditioned for the role, he really wanted it. And again, he, it was sort of not really casting, you know, it's casting against type for him, but he's an incredibly talented actor and a beautiful person. So 
Um, and then Damon, you know, Harry, um, you and we've been sort of aware and we, you know, they're friends or we've worked with them and they're just incredible actors. So that was kind of a natural choice. And with Baker Lee, that was, you know, pretty tough too. So Jen spent a bit of time going around in remote, you know, indigenous communities. Obviously we had to cast our indigenous actors from the mainland with permission from Jim Everett um, because there's no pre, you know, invasion Tasmanian Aboriginal people left. And um, and we found him on Elko Island. He's he's sort of this is his first performance in, in a feature film and he won the you know um, the acting award at Venice Film Festival for Best New Actor, so that's like incredible. What about the little boy? The little boy. Oh, the little boy, Eddie. So he is American, if you believe mm. it. So we were looking around and then, um, so he was in the film called um, Mr. Fantastic or Captain Fantastic, where he plays the little oh, boy. Oh, yes, that's fantastic, that film. Yes, it's a beautiful <laughs> film. And then he was in a movie that um, Radek, our DOP, shot in America. Uh, and he was just saying, oh, he's really incredible. And everyone's like, we can't get an American to, you know, play kind of, you know, an English boy. But he, again, he was, he's just like this super genius 10-year-old mm. boy who just got the, you know, got the training and the, and the language, language right. And His accent was beautiful. pretty impeccable. He, was, mm. he, was, he did a lot of work and he... Didn't pick that at all. Yeah. This film won the special jury prize um, when it premiered in Venice um, and it's had great reception overseas and from the critics. How important is it for an Australian film to have that kind of um, reception, do you think? You're going to be releasing in local cinemas on the 29th of August through transmission. Um, that kind of um, lead-up seems to be very important for a, a, a challenging art house film like this. Yeah, I was going to make a joke and go, no, nah, I think it's 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 so important for independent cinema. I mean, that's the platform to get, you know, our films out there and seen and recognised and those kinds of awards mean a lot apart from it being, you know, such a huge honour and a dream come true to be, at, you know, in competition at Venice. But, um, and the thing is, also just this kind of particular film that's, you know, has got an R rating in the US, um, it has to be really carefully curated. So I think the way that you put this film out there has to be done in a way where you lead it to the audience that are willing and open to see it. Because if you show it to the wrong people, everyone will just, you know, I think it's very confronting. So I think it's about, um, yeah, just kind of, <coughs> introducing the film to audiences in a way where they're kind of warned. I think that's sort of important that um, people are aware of what they're getting into. Um, but yeah, and, and I think obviously, you know, I think the press write what they want to write. So um, thankfully it's been overwhelmingly positive. You know, yeah. we've had a lot of beautiful, you know, amazing advocates for the film like Yama del Toro and Taika Waititi and, you know, so that's been really incredible and helpful. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of the critics have really um, given it a great review, but also said it's one of the most brutal films that they've ever seen. Um, and as critics, they see a lot. So, um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's significant. Do we have some more questions in the audience? Hello, thank you very much. It was an amazing film. Um, this question speaks to the violence that you're sort of um, talking about. I was wondering if you can talk about the response to the violence and why you think, I mean, obviously it's a very violent film, but if you look at it in the landscape of, you know, um, horror films or similarly violent films, it, it's, you know, it doesn't have anything extraordinary in that sense. So. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about what kind of reaction you've had about the level of violence in the film. Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously we always, uh, we never wanted it to be gratuitous or sensationalist and I don't think it is. Um, I mean, we never see, apart from Jago being killed, but you never see a piece of flesh, you never see, you know, like it's all in on the face and from her perspective. And I think if you compare it to a lot of those Hollywood blockbusters where you see heads cut off and, you know, like splatter and there's like 100 people being killed and it doesn't affect anyone, um, this film is, it hits you in the guts. It doesn't let you look away. It forces you to experience violence for the brutal act that it is, and rape for the, you know, annihilation of the soul that it is. And I think being confronted by that, rather than it being very often, you know, from a male gaze or a, a pers you know, a titillating perspective sometimes even, that. I think we've achieved what we wanted to do is to, yeah, to to show the fallout of violence and what it really feels like. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say also that the the psychological um, groundwork has been laid in the film, and, uh, that we see the violence as a as a. Um, we said it feels as though it's an incredibly violent film, even though I'd agree with Christian and I think it's a particularly violent film. But it feels as though it's a particularly, it feels as though it's an incredibly violent film because the psychological groundwork has been laid in the character development so that, you know, we care about these people um, and they have meaning to us, we can identify with them, we, we, you know, we're empathetic to the situation and so when, when they are wronged, um, it, it it affects us. There's a, there's a there's a meaning to it that that goes beyond just as you mentioned, you know, like a I don't know, sort of yeah, a blockbuster film where you can shoot seven Japanese soldiers with five rounds of bullets and no one you know like then it's insignificant and cartoonish. And I think that graphically, it's not a very, it's not a particularly violent film, yeah. um, but psychologically, it's a violent film. And I think that has it been criticised though for excessive violence? Um, I've been to the screenings where people have walked out because of the because of the violence, but that you know that's you know who's to know what violence the person next to you has, has 
endure in their lifetime. And I don't think that that's it's not necessarily a comment about the violence of the film. It's just may, maybe it says something more about the nature of violence in society and how ubiquitous it is. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.